Hello and welcome to another episode of Your Intention Matters, the podcast. My name is still Paul Madat. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm excited for this episode. I have Alec Rogers. He is head of business development for the Americas at a company called Blue Prism, coming to us from the city that never sleeps in New York. Alec, welcome. Thank you, Paul. Very excited to be here and I appreciate you having me on. Well, I appreciate it as well. Say hi to everybody and provide a quick intro and then we'll get into your story. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening. As Paul mentioned, my name is Alec Rogers. I am the head of business development for the Americas here at Blue Prism in New York City. Blue Prism is a software company focused on providing a digital workforce for our customers. So that's giving companies, large organizations, the ability to have these digital workers rather than human employees handle some of those back-end repetitive tasks so that the actual people on staff can really focus on customer interactions and things that really require decision-making, intelligence, and adding value to their organizations. So that is Blue Prism. All right. Uh, Hold on a second. Can you hear me, Alec? Yep. You can. Okay, very good. Okay, good. Uh, Okay, good. Well, listen, I appreciate you being here. Um, As you know, the title of the podcast is called Your Intention Matters, and that really stems from my belief that nothing is given to any of us, and the only real difference between any of us really is the logo on the bag. And so I'm looking forward to you sharing your story. You ready to go? Absolutely. Okay, so here we are, middle of September. Uh, We've turned the corner from the summertime right now, heading into fall. For most of us, end of Q3, turning the corner into Q4. Just after Labor Day, uh, in a year that has been a challenge on a number of different levels. And so, Alec, I'd love to start with 2020. Uh, how have you been? How's your family? Uh, how's the business? You, you're in a hot spot. I don't think New York is quite the hot spot that it was back in April and May, but it was pretty bad for a long time. And so, talk to me and everybody about how 2020 has been for you and how you've been handling things. Yeah, absolutely. And totally agreed. New York super, super tough at first. Things have gotten a bit better, but of course it is still a challenge. So really since that period in mid-March where a lot of the shutdowns began, myself, my family done whatever we could to isolate ourselves. So slowly as things opened up, it did become okay for little things, outdoor dining, grocery shopping, all of that. But still for the most part, staying inside, doing what we can to keep safe and, uh, learning, taking a lot of that learning from that early March throughout April, May period where we truly were in quarantine, staying inside and uh, just appreciating the little things. Well, listen, I'm glad to hear that, uh, that, you know, other than, you know, the inconvenience, obviously, of of what 2020 has been, that everybody seems to be okay, and you're just hunkered down and trying to figure this out all together here. And so uh, I'm looking forward to you sharing your story. So let's go back to your education. I know that you went to uh, Wisconsin-Madison, but I also think you went to Tel Aviv University. So did you actually go over to Tel Aviv for your studies as well? Yes. And I was part of a student exchange abroad program. Okay. So in my junior year, spent one semester, about six and a half, seven months in Tel Aviv studying at the university. So I've never been to Tel Aviv, but the footage that I've seen is, is spectacular. 
I, I think the coverage here in North America doesn't do it justice in terms of what the Middle East can be like. But what was Tel, what was Tel Aviv like for you when you were there? Yeah, uh, good question. So it really, really is a beautiful, beautiful place. Of course, there's nightlife, beaches, all of that. But I just think the combination of the weather, which is for the most part hot and sunny year round, and just how much the city has to offer. So you can look to the right and see a bunch of big industrial buildings for some really awesome innovative companies, many of which have spawned there. And then you could look to the left and see beachfronts, hotels, and a lot of resort-like views. So I just think there really is something for everyone there, and that uh, makes it a great place to live, at least for a little while. Well, what a cool experience that must have been, especially at that time in your life as well. And so, you know, I know that you went to Wisconsin-Madison. You have a background in communications, uh, rhetorical studies, economics, and statistics. So t- take me, when did you graduate, and what did you think you'd be doing with your career? Did you have any vision back then? Um, I did not, no. So this is 2017, and around the time, as far as the career search goes, was leaning very much towards that economics aspect. So, of course, there's a lot in way of journalism, PR, all of that with the communications background. But with economics, most of my early career sort of was geared towards financial analysis, a little bit of management consulting, and a lot of other professional services types of roles. So once you finished your education, what was your first, I guess, quote unquote job? Yeah. So first job was working for a company called Splash. It's a SaaS solution for event marketing analytics and uh, companies kind of leverage their in-person and sometimes virtual event programs to revenue. So proving marketing value to the organization at large. Did they find you? Did you have to interview extensively? How did that happen? So I discovered Splash through a Wisconsin connection, somebody that was from the area that I had a couple existing connections with from Wisconsin had been working there for a couple of years and surfaced the opportunity to meet a few of my friends. And so did you get into sales? I did, yes. Okay. How did you take to sales? Was it uh, like a, a duck to water or was it hard? It was definitely pretty hard. I think that, and this is at no fault of Splash, they were incredible, but I think that my expectation versus what sales or really business development is like is really different than what it ended up being like. So I first thought I'd be coming in, giving a demo to somebody. They'd love me. They'd say, where do I sign? Where do I sign? And then a couple of months in, I realized, of course, sales and business development are different. Am I really just going to be sending emails, making calls and being proud of sending this many emails or something along those lines? But I really think the shift was maybe six or seven months in where I realized, yes, business development is hard. However, that being said, there really is so much more to it than simply, am I going to send all these emails, all these calls? So I think the strategy piece is what makes it still hard, but maybe more rewarding and a lot more creative ability to kind of go out there and figure out what's going to work best for everybody. Well, you know, I certainly appreciate that comment because of what I do for a living. I have a chance to work with more than a few business development representatives. And oftentimes what happens is there, there is a, I guess, an environment where the BDR is considered the junior. You, you do this to cut your teeth. But I, I have a story that says it, it's a 
honorable profession. It's a very difficult job. It's not just something anybody can do. It shouldn't just be you be a BDR to graduate to an account manager or an account executive. There's it, it, there's a tremendous skill set required to do that because if you're unable to generate some opportunities, then the AE can't take over anything, right? And so, so you were doing that for a while. Um, and so how long were you at Splash? I was at Splash for about two and a half years. Okay, two and a half years. Were you always an, indiv an individual contributor? I was not. So Splash is also where I was first a manager of that business development team. How did you like leadership? Um, so definitely enjoyed it, which is why I am still in that path. I think it was much like being in sales, really difficult at first, just to kind of transitioning from that individual contributor to that management role. I learned a lot of the skill sets really are different. So being good in sales development, outbound prospecting, engaging with the right people is very different than enabling people on a team to go out and do the same. I think uh, a number of different learning sessions, kind of proactively seeking out workshops, talking to as many former individual contributors as possible to really get a sense of their experience helped propel, make it a much smoother operation moving forward, but definitely enjoy it. You know, when I uh, first became a sales manager, I was working for Xerox at the time, and I've, I've shared this before on previous episodes. Uh, I really struggled with the job. I wasn't effective at all, and quite frankly, mm -hmm. if I'm being totally transparent. One of the things that I really struggled with, well, I guess there was two things. Number one, was my management approach was, well, this is the way I did it in territory, so this is the way you should do it, which was a disaster, um, number one. And number two, I really struggled with my income be becoming dependent upon others. When you're an individual contributor, whether you have a base salary or 100% commission, you're pretty much responsible for what you have. And so was that a difficult transition for you as well in terms of what, what you would achieve was really based on getting others to kind of follow your lead? Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of that comes to the balance of at what point do I want to lean in, kind of take lead on some sort of prospecting campaign, as opposed to really just allowing the rep to do it, get out there, learn for themselves, while keeping in mind that things are changing every day, different approaches work, and something that a rep might be doing could very well be smarter, more thought out than the approach I might recommend. So I think it's a constant battle of finding that happy medium. And what was behind your decision to move on? Was it theirs or was it yours? It was my decision ultimately. I think that, of course, the kind of cliche answer of wanting that new challenge, but really apt in this case where Blue Prism as a growing company, which was founded in London, but growing really quickly in America, they had so much inbound demand that was really fueling the team there. So there were reps doing a great job of qualifying those leads at a really high volume. So success, happy times for all. Reason the position opened up is that they were now at this point ready to ramp up that outbound muscle. So they wanted to, for the first time in America's, look at ICP, look at target accounts and really build an outbound program from scratch. So I thought I was a good fit because while Splash always had that outbound program, I was a big part in helping to maintain it, reinvent it when necessary, and just kind of have backs against the wall, forced to go out there from a really cold outbound perspective. 
So the decision ultimately came down to getting to build that function from the ground up. And so was there any ever conversations inside of Splash for you to continue your runway and your development within the company? Or was it always just, okay, so I, I've maxed out. Now it's time for me to move on. Uh, there were definitely discussions. And I do believe that there would have been more room for growth there. Everyone there across all departments is really, really great and really focused on employee development. I just ultimately had to make the call that this challenge of an app program being essentially non-existent and really needing to ramp that up was just too alluring for me to not say yes to. And when did you make the move to Blue Prism? I made the move to Blue Prism in August of 2019. So a year and two or three months. Okay, so just over a year ago now, really. Yep. Okay, so you're, you're really in your first year. Um, how has it been? It's been, it's been really good. It's been super crazy. So kind of coming into a really, really fast moving company where Blue Prism's growth is next level, truly crazy. And then just kind of coming in, making sure I could connect to all the reps, learn a lot about what's working for them. Importance, emphasis on how do you think this outbound program should look? It was just really, really important for me that everyone I was going to now be working with if I'm going to kind of come in and change up everything, their outlook, their day to day, I really, really wanted them to have input. So I spent those first several months just deep fanatical focus on what are the reps doing now? What do they see outbound looking like? And in many cases, helping them understand it for reps that had to come in to this inbound focus role without any background in outbound prospecting previously in their careers. And so were you were you responsible for hiring people as well as part of your, your role? I was, yes. Yeah. So the business development team was at seven people when I took over originally, and we are now at 10. So those three hires were part of my priorities as well. Okay, so you have 10 people under your umbrella. There's 250 to 300 in the company globally. Call it fifty in the Americas, if I ever, if I if I understand correctly. But you you yeah. have ten people under your umbrella. The first six months was really planting your flag and establishing uh, how you want the division to run. You're hiring new people. We turn into 2020. We have our Q1 here, and then all of a sudden the world shuts down at the end of February, early March. How did you manage moving forward? Uh, you know, when you're now first to work from home and you're in New York where things were, I imagine, pretty uncertain and pretty scary for a long time there. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a great question. So leading up to that original shutdown in March, I was actually visiting Australia and New Zealand. My sister was living there for a few months, ended up coming home for obvious reasons. But while in Australia, it became clear that the shutdown is something that was likely to happen. And while this is happening, I was in the final stages of processing two offers and start dates for the two newest hires on our team. So I think that kind of coming home, thinking I'd be out of the office for a week, to which has now been seven or so months, was certainly a challenge up front. And then, of course, onboarding reps virtually, something I had never done before, just in the sense that at all sales experience I've had, it's been in office, so working with the same team. So definitely a challenge in that sense, but I think it was a really great learning experience, not just for me in terms of how to run a virtual onboarding program, how to get these reps ramped up in a reasonable time frame, but also for them. You know, they signed to 
work in an office. Big part of Ramp, of course, is having these live sessions with myself, members of the BDR team, other people throughout the organization. So I think figuring out how to help them ramp up, learn about the company, learn about sales development in general was certainly a challenge, but they have done a truly outstanding job. Shout out to Jenna and Srina if you are listening. And uh, yeah, really still ongoing. I am always a proponent for onboarding never ends. You're always learning, learning, learning. But uh, in their case, that is very much the case because there's just so much information and tactics to absorb and really difficult to do that without having people to plot next to you at the desk. Given when they were hired and you were going through this process and what happened six, seven months ago, have you actually met them yet or is it all virtual? I have only met them for in-person interviews in the office. So that's it. So since they've come on board, it's been all two-dimensional. Absolutely. Wow, that's incredible, man. How, how do you how do you do that? That's that to me is amazing that you've been able to uh, turn the corner because look, we're all virtual right now. We get that, right? Whether you use WebEx or you use Zoom or whatever you use, but there's no substitute for being in the room. So how, how have you created that culture of inclusiveness and drive and, and production this way? Yeah, definitely. So a couple things. One, I think, is on meetings, not necessarily saying hold less meetings, hold less email threads, all that. But I think that on meetings, having that social team building component is really, really important. So if we have a topic to cover and it could easily take 30 minutes, if not more, I think it's really okay if that first five, 10 minutes, if we're socializing, asking people how their weekends are, any techniques you used in the previous week that worked really well, I think kind of getting the ball rolling via dialogue that might not be directly related to the bullet point agenda on this meeting really helps people grow. I think that the other technique in terms of actually doing the job, ramping up that way, is by really leaning on and delegating to the existing BDRs on the team more than would have likely occurred during an in-office rep period. So I could run a session, and of course I ran several with them on the company, on strategies, but then I'd always ask myself, is there somebody on the team that's really, really good with this? And if so, maybe they should run it. So then that also gave people on the team the chance to, one, kind of show off what they're good at, something that people hesitate to do sometimes, but that I'm a really strong proponent for, as well as even hone in on presentation skills. It's funny to see somebody might be an expert on how to use Salesforce, but then putting together a little presentation, working with people, could uncover a lot of kind of holes in how they go about it to help them get better at presenting, whether that's communicating, speaking slowly, or even something as simple as building a PowerPoint presentation. So I think that leaning on people, of course, was tremendously helpful for the actual BDRs ramping up, but then, of course, also for the people existing on the team, honing in on some of their skills, even if it was just with these team members that were looking to ramp up. Alec, how old are you? 25. 25 years old. Okay. Um, very intelligent answer for 25 years old. I'll give you that. Uh, so I, I, I'm curious about something. So I had a meeting about an hour ago, literally. I'm talking to a colleague of mine and we got talking away about the next generation of, of you know people coming into the workforce. And, mm -hmm. and, and I have a belief that your generation, 
the, the kids coming out of college now, the ones who've graduated three or four years into the workforce, I think you guys get a bad rap. There, there's a narrative out there that there's so many that are uh, lazy, uh, looking for the easier way out. They're not willing to put the hours and to put the time in. So you get people in my generation, I'm in my mid-40s, and the ones who are in their 50s, there are some who have a story that says, well, your generation is just looking for the path of least resistance. They're not really willing to do anything. So I'm curious, how do you respond to that? I mean, because I imagine the people that you report to are might, might be older than you. Maybe some of them are in my generation. How do you gain traction with them? Because clearly you have. Yeah, and that is a great question, something that I am going through all the time. So I think that ultimately there may be a point there. There are, without a doubt, a lot of people around my age, maybe give or take five to 10 years, that are looking for that easy route, whether it's doing less work and still succeeding. It could be hopping around to jobs more frequently. I think there's a very clear trend that a lot of younger people's first few jobs may be over the course of five, six years, where that may have been uncommon more in the past. But I think that a way to combat it is to kind of show the value of this new way of thinking. So of course, there's been a lot of technological advancements. And I think that by showing that to a lot of senior leaders that have tenure that have been around for a longer is been super, super helpful. So that might start with just, here are the capabilities of this tool we're using that isn't something that was around 10 years ago. And then once the kind of background of those tools, the way they work is clear, now I have that credibility to kind of talk about, so here's where we go from here. You know, you have this tool that can schedule emails so that leads don't slip through the cracks, very fundamental to people our age group, maybe not as much for more tenured professionals, and then once they kind of understand, yes, that's cool. I see how that happens. Showing them the, but there's more, you know, we can go in there and change that email template, or we can mm. call somebody more frequently if they have shown more intent, downloaded something more online along those lines. So I think it's kind of that two-pronged approach of one, here are these tools that we now have at our disposal. And two, here's how we actually plan to use them and really get value out of them in a way that, we have to remember is not going to be obvious to everyone that's not a power user of said tools. Gotcha. Okay, good. Well, listen, I think that's a great answer. Uh, last question here for you, Alec. If there's anybody listening that is maybe newer into their career and they, they have a vision for leadership and responsibility and, and career progression, because you, you, you've shown you can do it in a relatively short time as well. Any advice for anybody listening, if you had one piece that served you well, that you might want to pay it forward? Really, really keep your ears peeled, keep your eyes peeled for opportunities within the organization. And that doesn't just mean the company posts a job internally mm. and you make sure you apply for it. I'm just saying really situationally, are there things happening around you that could give you an opportunity to really add a lot of value? So just as a quick little sales development example, we've got a rep on the team who will book a great outbound meeting with a big company. Everyone's happy. That's great. But when you listen on that call and hear a little something from the prospect along the lines of, hey, maybe this could be a good fit for another department or another company even, I think that really taking the onus of acting on that. So you don't have to be promoted to 
an account growth or an account manager or even a team manager to say, hey, let's map out this organization. I think we can add a lot of value elsewhere. So I think that while it's always important to do the bread and butter, the whatever is really essential to your day-to-day job, those promotion opportunities, in my experience and opinion, arise when you kind of see an opportunity to add value beyond what might be in those bullets of that original job description. Cool. Great answer. Uh, And on that note, I think we should wrap this one up. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you. Thanks so much for being here, Alec. Absolutely. Thank you very, very much for having me. Excited to take a listen. You're very welcome. All right, everybody, let's wrap this baby up today. Remember, your intention matters. Why? Because that's the result we'll tend to get. We're out of here. We'll do it again next week. Be safe and go Raptors. Thank you.